0: Hi, fam, and welcome to this week's episode of Ceremony Circle Podcast. I'm your host and bestselling author of Animal Power Book and Deck, Allison Charles-Story. And today, you'll get to hang with a dear friend of mine, Dr. Nita Bhushan, who just happens to also be releasing one of my favorite books in a while, and it's titled, That Sucked, Now What? Dr. Nita is also a world renowned emotional health advocate and expert in the areas of grit and resilience. She's been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, NBC, ABC, CBS, and many more places. Dr. Nita sold her large million dollar cosmetic dentistry practice to step forward on her own journey to becoming a leader in her field and a voice for immigrant women and women of color. She traveled across 45 countries researching human behavior, ancient Eastern philosophy, and therapeutic psychology. She pooled that learning along with other life experiences, which included being orphaned at 19, surviving an abusive marriage, and extensive loss. This all contributed to the powerful message of resilience and grit that we are so blessed to dive into today. A few of the main things that we cover... Now, Dr. Nita, she experienced a lot of hardcore, that sucked, now what moment starting at a young age. But I ask her, how did she stay out of playing in the trauma Olympics or escape being immersed in victim mentality? We talk about her unique and powerful definitions of not just resilience, but also what it means to be audaciously resilient. The power of embracing our humanness and why it's vital to go out and suck at something. What her signature fly forward method is and how it can transform your suckiest life moments into ones where you spiritually awaken and are able to easily locate the magic or medicine in the mess or even the joy in the chaos. And you'll definitely want to stick around until the end of the episode because I ask Nita fun and personal questions, including what's the one thing you wish more people knew about you but you find it hard to share? And she immerses us in a powerful closing ceremony circle practice that allows you to self-regulate and find your center and power within just a few minutes when you're in the midst of something challenging. And you're going to witness me live during this method experiencing just that. And side note, when you hear me mention something called cedar fever, Unless you live in Texas, you've probably never heard of this. It's this extreme allergy season that hits down here that causes some wild symptoms, many of which I am in the midst of navigating. So I just wanted to share a little more context on that because you hear me talk about it. All right, fam, let's get to it. This is a good one. So let's get into finding the magic in the mess with Dr. Nita Bushan. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I've got my dear sis, Nita. Hello, queen. Oh my gosh. Hi. Sister. S- so good to have you here. And, you know, since since I know you so well and we're on uh, real casual terms here, I thought I would just get right to it and get straight to the hard-hitting question. Are you ready? Oh boy. You could have written a book on anything. Why? What about? That sucked. Now What? Ooh,
1: uh, you know, I feel like it's been the alchemy of your whole life, everything, (laughs) (laughs) everything. And we've, we've, you know, we dove on your podcast before on all of the things I think, but honestly, um, and this is a story that I don't necessarily share. Actually, I haven't really shared this story on, on any interview as of yet, but this was, this story was like the catalyst of me entering motherhood. Mm. And uh, it's, it's one of the stories I end with in the book, but it's so profound because I know we've talked about journeying into motherhood. And I think this book particularly started to birth, or at least the essence of this book started to birth as I entered motherhood. And I remember being pregnant with Ari And, you know, this was what, five years ago now, actually, five years ago now this, Mm. this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this January, that's when I, that I found out that I was, I was, I was, uh, expecting and, um, I, there was just a different essence of, of myself getting into this like portal and Mm -hmm. I wanted to dive deep and I was like, I'm going to dive deep into all things motherhood because, I lost my mom early on. I was 16 when she passed. And a lot of the matriarchs in my life, five, when we get into five years ago now, um, were had, had kind of already transitioned. Mm-hmm. So my grandmother had transitioned a couple years before then my great aunt, who's my grandmother's sister also. So the matriarchs before me were transitioning. And so it was a very, <clears throat> it was a real uh cultivating moment for me to really just lean into my this this feminine energy of myself and not be this masculine woman that's goal getting uh and take a little bit of a break so i actually paused lots of things that i was doing at the time when i found out i was pregnant and i was just i wanted to get like a PhD or a master's degree in like having a baby mm-hmm. and all things natural because the the worst thing that could happen to me uh was actually going and delivering in a hospital. And I did not want to do that.
0: And is that partially because of just previous kind of wounds or traumas around spending so much time in the hospitals when you were young, you know? <laughs> you're- your family members being sick and dying. And...
1: I mean, I grew up in a hosp I pretty much grew up from 10 till about in and out of hospitals uh till my mom died when I was 16. Mm-hmm. So for those 6 years, super informative. Like I remember at 14 years old, I was a freshman in high school and you know, all the kids were doing their after school activities And I was like, all right, well, I didn't want to tell anybody where I was going, first of all, because, you know, you're 14 and you want to fit in and you're a freshman. Or actually, I was a sophomore when she started to get really ill. Mm -hmm. And so it was on, I would take the bus back home. I was living in Chicago at the time. And, you know, you take a bus and you take a train uh, and I would take the bus to the actual hospital and I would do my homework from there. I remember it was just the routine that you do. Like I didn't have time to do extracurricular activities. The only one that was, that, that was allowed was like anything that was pertaining to like Indian dance. (laughs) That was the only one. That makes sense. I mean, of course, right? (laughs) The Indian or I don't know, I was doing like Hawaiian dance at the time, but it's very performative. So, okay, Mm -hmm. fine that. Um, and so I wanted to, I think this was my initiation of reparenting myself. Ah, that makes sense. And so I did all the things I got all of the, you know, I was like, all right, I'm not going to do, um, you know, doctors, I'm going to do midwives and, you know, my doulas. And so I had everything. It was like going to be this perfect plan and everything was, you know, I was meditating on it days and just like envisioning what and how this experience would look like. We watched all the documentaries. It was going to be perfect. It's going to be this beautiful, natural water birth. Mm-hmm. And that was, I. that's what I was calling in. And I, get so focused on something like a goal that I'm going to really dive into this. And I was, I had, you know, healers and other people. I just like surrounded myself with just the most natural folks. Everything needed to make that happen. I mean, of course, everything, right? So you get to the final call of this initiation and we're getting to, you know, I'm, I'm at like 36 or 37 weeks of, of full-term pregnancy. And at 38 weeks, I, my, my, like, I'm starting to feel contractions and uh, and, and so we're thinking, okay, this is it. Like, I just like, all right, I have all of my notes and we're, we're ready and we're calling the, we're, we're, you know, it's, it's going to be great. We have everything set up. We have our lights set up. We have our affirmation set up. I mean, it couldn't have been Were you going to use your bathtub. Of course. No. Well, we were going to, they, they brought, we were living in LA at the time. Oh, So, so they brought the the pool mm-hmm. and they were going to blow it up and set it up. And it's, and we were in a two bedroom and in LA at the time. So it was like a very small space, you know? And so, so they're like it, you had to be ready to go. And so here I am. And I'm also not thinking of like worst case scenario at all because I don't want to, I didn't want to invite that energy in at all. And of course my husband being who he is, he's very practical. He, and also our families were coming in, his parents were coming from India. Big deal big deal. My family was coming in from Chicago and they were very concerned that we were doing this backwards tradition. They're like, what is going on? And so we just wanted to keep our space sacred. Mm-hmm. So we didn't even allow them to come inside the space. And of course that is also putting pressure on Ujit and he's, so we're in our little portal, but of course there's just, you know, he's, he's feeling a little bit of, of tension and stress. Well, as the title of my book would go, Mm. Mm. (laughs) it didn't go to plan. In fact, it was the complete opposite of, of, of all of that. And it was, uh, it was beautiful and it was interesting, but I would go through the biggest initiation of surrender. Wow. And, uh, and through that process of really healing what I was so afraid of because I was so afraid of going to a hospital. And until I literally reconciled those feelings and those emotions right. of why I was so fearful. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I lost my mom, my brother, and my dad in a hospital setting. And I was so adamant. And I thought, okay, me being so healthy, me being so intentional, me being so prayer focused and, and just fully aligned with all of these beautiful people that were in our vortex Mm -hmm. at the time. And, and I was, I was like, I'm doing all of the right things. And it turns out that this was the magic that I needed to embrace in this mess Mm. because I was in labor on and off from that Monday until that Saturday. Whoa. Yeah. So the labor would start at night And it was, uh, I think they call it something along the lines of like nocturnal labor. I can't remember the actual term, but uh, certain mammals go through this where they'll, they're so, either they caretake a lot of children, which I obviously didn't have, or they're so busy during the day or their mind's so focused that they stop the labor process during the day.
0: Whoa! I've never heard of this.
1: Yes, yes, definitely look it up. I mean, I'd never heard of it either until, until we were, were We were fully in it. Wow! And so we get to that Wednesday. You know, this is three nights of not sleeping, and our doula and our midwives are coming over, and they're like, "You're not even dilated. You're supposed to. You know, like this is not. This, we're not progressing. You have a lot of time. You know, just do the things that you're doing. Walk around." relax, go in the shower, you know, just, just surrender and and, and let us know when you're actually there. Mm-hmm. But this was three days of this. So you're already tired. You haven't slept. Family's coming in town. We get to Thursday. And by this time, I'm like, I'm feeling sciatica in my legs. Uh, cause I was a marathon runner and I also did triathlon. So I could feel when like my legs have been really working mm-hmm. And so the pain in my legs got to be so much more than just like the labor. It was, it was, it, cause he was, uh, Ari's head was kind of just like in my pelvis at this point. And for whatever reason, I couldn't open, I was still restricting. And there was something that I needed to really release and let go. Obviously, we're having a conversation now about it, right. that I was still holding on to something. Yep. And, but in that time, you know, I was like, we're doing everything. And so it wasn't until I just told, you know, my, my advice, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. My water broke that Friday night. And then they're like, all right, we, we've got to do our backup plan. And so our backup plan, our doctor was, uh, in Compton that day. He was scheduled to be in Compton, not at Santa Monica (laughs) hospital where we, uh, where we were, we we were having that backup plan. And so as the story goes. Wow. So perfect. <laughs> Take her beyond the depths of her. Yeah. And it was just, it ended up being, being so beautiful, mm-hmm. even though we had to go through three and, and for those listeners who don't know where Compton is, well, you know, they, they have a saying straight out of Compton uh there were three security detectors there you had to go in line it was it, you know there's it, the whole neighborhood is ob- obviously not very safe it was the complete opposite but when you get past all of that it was a brand new hospital mm-hmm. it was so beautiful martin luther king jr it's such a beautiful hospital and i was the only person there that night and 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 so there was a, a room. Wow, you had a private floor for your birth. <laughs> it was, literally. So my doula set it up with the candles and the lights. We dimmed everything. There were residents there because I guess this is a teaching hospital as well. So they were so Well, wow,
0: there's so many interesting like layers of learning. I like I'm, I'm telling you Allison,
1: this was it it, it was just it was definitely my subtitle of the book like the embra- embracing the joy and chaos and finding the magic in the mess because it was everyone was watching this cuz they couldn't believe that we had so much intentionality to mm. how we wanted um Ari to come out because i still had my composure i was like i just need to sleep can we just pause this whole thing i just need to sleep for and get my energy back and so um So literally 24 hours later, I I got the epidural, I got all of the things that I was like, so adamantly no and against. And I was like, I'm just going to embrace, I'm going to surrender. And when I started to say that fully, fully Mm -hmm. and not let go of my vision of like, you know, that this was going to be the new vision, that's when I beautifully, you know, dilated to ev- and it just, everything went so fast and he was born, you know, at four o'clock, I pulled him out. I still had feeling, um, cause they do this thing where it's, I forget what it's called, but it's like a lighter dose of the epidural where you, it, so I was still able to feel my legs to pull him mm-hmm. out, but that's what happened. And, and it became, it not only reconciled because I think I was so afraid of, I think, death.
0: Yeah. The, that correlation would make sense based upon your childhood. For sure. And so when I came
1: to terms with that and saying, okay, the hospital is not going to be a place for death. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a place for birth.
0: And the only way you could arrive to that clarity was by going through exactly what you went through. You know, had you been graced the opportunity to live out what you thought was the ideal vision and plan and had that home birth, you wouldn't have been taken to those beyond those edges and been like taken into those caves, holding your greatest fears and beyond. I mean, you're taken into the cave, but, you know, um, and there's there's nothing against Compton. It's just, it's just has a reputation for being a tough area. And like you said, it, it has a reputation for being pretty unsafe. So it's like, no matter how you slice and dice it, it's like you're taken into the cave that holds your greatest fears, but then you add potential unsafe environment to that. It's like beyond the edges.
1: Beyond the edges. <laughs>
0: That's your next book. I mean,
1: beyond. yeah, exactly. Thank you for that, Alison. Yeah. We're, we're dropping it here beyond the edges. Yeah, it was in, in the, the doctors, the nurses, the team, everyone was so nurturing and it was the complete opposite than what I was envisioning in my mind yeah. for it to be. You know it, in, and I think many times in life, when we have sucky moments, when we have setbacks, when we have challenges, when things haven't gone our way, many times, you know, we're we don't look into what the medicine of mm-hmm. that is. And that's I feel like what you talk about so much, what is the medicine there for us to, to learn? And for me, I really needed to integrate this whole part of myself where I thought I had healed except for that part around hospitals because I was so adamant and so against and vehemently against mm-hmm. that part of my life um, where I, I needed to go back and, and have compassion again and humanize that. And, and actually it wasn't so bad. It was probably the best experience ever. So much so that I was like, all right, Isla's getting porn
0: Wow. And like laying such powerful ground uh, groundwork and foundational work that you know you didn't know it at the time, but five years later you'd be sitting doing all these interviews based on a book that, like the essence, began to form and in, in this story. I mean, it began to form in some other ways. I I know you know in your earlier life, but like you said, it was that scenario and that life experience that really started to put the real first layer of bro- of bricks of what you would become to embody yourself so that you could be a teacher of it's like it's also wild to look back in the hindsight of that I mean isn't it yeah it's 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 so I couldn't have asked for
1: better better medicine
0: and it's also intriguing too you know just based upon my learning so far once you say yes to the parenting birthing mothering portal and you step across that threshold like even when the child isn't born yet, like the, where they usher you into your own life and into your own being so that you can become and embody, uh, the person that the spirit of your child wants you to be when they incarnate. So it's like Ari's role in all of that too. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so true because I
1: mean, if that, whole experience taught me, we cannot control everything. Even though you say you surrendered, you didn't really until that, those final moments when you actually saw, oh wait, this is way bigger. This is like full life and death, like full circle completely and fully healing that entire, um, you know, that was a story of life and death really. Yeah. And, and really being open to, okay, what is your greatest fear? And, 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 and now seeing his personality at four years old, the ways that he likes to command a room, he likes to be in charge. Mm -hmm. He's my little, uh, he's, you know, uh, human design, he's a manifester. So he likes to to take charge and he's like, mama, you're here. Dada, you're here. Isla, you stay right there. Don't move. You know, my daughter's 18 months. And it's so interesting that yeah, for me, I've had to learn how to release, release, control, release, control. And that's been, that has been his gift as my mm. teacher. And it started, it started
0: uh, uh, at that 38 week journey. A so. very powerful way. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And there was something else you mentioned and all of that, that I kind of want to get more into the heart of. And that's that kind of choice point or fork in the road moment where, you know, it's inevitable, you know, we, as humans, we come down here to what a lot of us call earth school. So a lot of us view the entire point of this experience to learn, to be taught things, to evolve. And, um, you know, with that it's inevitable that there's going to be challenges and hardships. Uh, but yet, you know, when, Those enter into your experience, there are different routes you can take when those things strike you. And one of the routes is being the victim. One of the routes is, uh, you know, having chips on your shoulder and feeling entitled. One of the routes is looking into what is the medicine? What am I meant to learn? Learning how to be a master alchemist, learning how to allow the the darker, more challenging experiences to ascend us and and raise us in our spiritual awakening. Um, so I know there's a lot we can get into here. So I want to hear anything that's bubbling up for you. But one specific thing I was curious about, because you are someone who has really endured a lot of what I would classify as incredibly intense trials and tribulations in your life and a lot of loss and death at a very young age, that thrust you into learning yourself and and having to play certain roles that you wouldn't uh, otherwise been forced to, how did you not allow yourself to, one, get sucked into the victim route, and two, not play in the trauma Olympics? Oh, yeah. I was super curious about both of those, because you easily could have gone down either of those paths. Did you go down either one for a little bit and then notice...
1: So actually it's interesting because now I hear, you know, other women's stories about how their birth really, really knocked them down or that, you know, there's, there's a lot of the unraveling and how that could actually be a very traumatic experience. And for me, honestly, I think right away that was my medicine that I needed to heal fully and, and it alchemized fully what, was coming up though, that I don't think, and I think, you know, partially it's because of like, you're saying all the things that I had went through early on. I mean, the loss of my mom, the loss of my brother, the loss of my dad. I think a lot of those things I was re grieving because I didn't have them at my birth. I I had Ajit's parents and there were, you know, mm. things coming up even for me as like the, the, the one who takes care of everyone, because I, that was my role for so long that I think for me, the biggest thing that was coming up initially in those first early days was I was resisting support. I was like, Nope, I can do this. Because again, it was my, my way of what can I control? And maybe even some of my deeper wounds of worthiness was coming up because I was always how can I support you? How can I be there for you? I was, I was the matriarch of my family. I was the one taking care of everyone. And so for the, when you were a child, when I was a child and, and I grew up to even take on those roles and responsibilities and friendships and bringing people together. And so for the first time, you know, how they say the saying or elders say the saying it's the mother needs to be mothered. And for me, the idea of being witnessed in that way, the idea of being poured into, was a foreign concept for me. It was so foreign that I'm like, I don't even know what to do. Wait, what, oh, oh, okay, you're because in the in the Indian and the Ayurvedic traditions and many traditions around the world, the elders, the elder women, are pouring into the new mom. They're making sure that she's supported, she's horizontal, she's she's healing. Everything is healing in her body. And for me, I'm like, nope, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like I was just rejecting it completely. And it was, now I look back, but it was definitely, you know, huge emotions of, of postpartum depression that I was not dealing with well at all. I didn't even know that I was in it until I was out of it. Mm, That's interesting. And for, you know, and you say, how do you know that you're, how do you, how do you not get into the victim spiral or, or one of the concepts I talk about the book is the trauma Olympics. Uh, and I say that those two things, cause it's so easy to get caught up in it and it's so easy to feel bad for yourself. It's so easy to feel bad and grieve what didn't happen, that you had this vision of this birth and And what I do know now from what I had been through, like the, that sucked moment. And when I say that sucked as even a mantra, it's alluding to the awareness that, okay, we're not going to stay in that victim Mm -hmm. mode. It's not this sucks. It's that sucked because yeah, you're acknowledging it. You're accepting that reality. And now you're actually asking, okay, well now what, what's my next choice in this? what's my next choice? And for me, I had to really integrate. Wow. Okay. I'm, I am being terrible to everyone around me and I don't even know why. And, and, and to come back and say, okay, it's because I have to really ask myself, am I worthy if I'm not contributing right now? Am I worthy if I, if I'm not taking my in-laws to somewhere so that they can see LA for the first time was the first time in the U S right. My, my good girl intentions of being a good Indian Filipino girl, those, 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 those threads were coming in and I needed to allow, I needed to allow my body to heal. I needed to allow space to be poured into Mm -hmm. without feeling bad, without feeling guilty. And I'll tell you this. Uh, so this was so beautiful because this was so different than what I experienced growing up. It's definitely not what I experienced in the day-to-day worrying about, oh my gosh, is are we going to get that phone call again? Is somebody going to die? Mm-hmm. Uh, are we going to get that phone call that like mom needs to be resuscitated and who's going to go to the hospital or a call that, you know, your brother's in the ambulance, like you just had so much PTSD. And there was, there was several years of those clouds like lingering over uh, this darkness and this really dark time where on the other side of that, it's like, oh, I just, I had a baby. Oh, it's actually not as bad as it once was. Uh, okay. My nervous system can actually reset. It's, it's, we're, we're going to be okay. It's mm-hmm. not as bad because I've been through the fire. Mm-hmm. And so even though those moments were, were big, I just recalled, oh, okay. There is actually joy though here because we have this little baby.
0: Mm-hmm and it also seems i mean by this point by the time you're experiencing this story of of the birthing story i mean you had already been through so much healing work um because on top of the the loss and the death that you experienced when you were young you know then as you got a little bit older and you had your multimillion dollar dental practice and you were in your previous marriage that ended up being incredibly abusive that you needed to escape escape out of like you had by the time we get to this birthing story and you being married to ajit you had already started to put in a lot of healing work a lot of facing yourself like a lot of trauma and wounding you know transmutation and and all of that so i would guess by this birthing story you had already by far gotten to, um, the awareness that, uh, if there was any sort of unconscious or conscious addiction to, um, misery or addiction to not thriving, like all of that stuff had long been healed. But what do you say to the people that are at more of a preliminary, uh, stage where maybe they have not even begun their healing journey or they're they're at the very beginning And they haven't arrived to a lot of the awarenesses that you had by the time you were giving birth and they're having their suck moment and they're at those crossroads. The birthing story, you had healed enough, you could see the bigger picture, you'd already become a strong alchemist and you knew how to navigate. But someone that hasn't walked enough down that path to have that inner navigation What can they look out for in their own observation of their thoughts or what can they look for so that they can maybe start to become aware of, oh, I'm fucking hardcore playing the victim card here. Or I think I have an addiction to um, not feeling good and, oh, wow, I had no idea that my norm is feeling bad. And that's why I'm allowing myself to stay stuck in this pool of wallowing in my own misery, you know, like oh, how can they catch it and what can they do to make the shift?
1: Oh gosh. Well, yeah. So, I mean, part one of the book, we talk about like, all right, pity party for one. Uh, who's okay. who's going to join me in that pity party. Right. right. And we all have that but i think it's when we you know there's there's two camps of people it's it's the, it's the it's the first camp or the first group of people where there you know was no space to grieve mm. what didn't happen there was it was just all right let's go let's move on let's survive mode. survival mode we got to get through this or maybe their 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 upbringing didn't support that so family members caretakers were like i'll give you something to cry about what are you are are you going to be, are you going to be showing me those, those temper tantrums? Like those emotions weren't welcomed. So to feel sad, to feel depressed, to feel awful about themselves. So they would shove it under a rug, but there's another camp of people who enjoy that because that gives them connection to themselves. That gives them the space that, okay, it's the permission to still wallow in their suck, to still swim and bathe and be stuck in the suck where they're not able to crawl out of it. They're not able to see a different perspective. And I I hear you if you're there because I've definitely been there many, 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 many times, which is why I created a framework around it and it's called Fly Forward and it's called Fly Forward for a reason. And in the book, I break it down into five steps. But the very first thing we're talking about is, you have a fall, and a fall can be, you know, literally or it can be uh, metaphorically. In the book, there's there's stories that I share from some of my clients who, they either they have a skiing accident or they have a medical diagnosis or a family member gets diagnosed with something or lose a job or, or they lose a job or they're, you know, somebody cheats on them or there's a break where they realize, Oh no. Oh shit. What happened? I can't control this. Like when this sucks, this sucks, right? This sucks. I'm in the suck right now. It's not that sucked. Yeah. But it's this sucks. What am I going to do? So then there's step two, which is. All right. That's the ignition stage. Now, most people, if they are in that ignition stage and they are not able to say yes to something different and say yes to leaning into the discomfort. And what I mean by leaning into it is like, all right, I'm going to say yes to this pain and actually experience the pain and also know that, yeah, things are going to be uncertain for a while. If we're not going to choose that road, we're going to choose the other road that we're going to stay stuck Mm. in the suck. We're not going to move anywhere. We're going to still attract those experiences and people and energetics Mm. around that that's going to support why we still suck.
0: And that ignition stage could also, just for one example of a scenario, it might be the first time that you choose to put a boundary up and say to someone who you've never put a boundary to... I'm experiencing something that's incredibly challenging and I'm going to experience it different this time. And in order for me to do that, I need no contact for a week while I go within to explore, you know, whatever it sounds like. But you might have to say for the first time ever in your life to somebody like, I need space or I need you to not, you know, call me for five days or whatever so that you can try to create some other new cycle for absolutely, yourself. Absolutely. That's
1: a beautiful example of the ignition. And now that if anybody gets offended by that, that's their own stuff. I think many times, especially for people pleasers or people who are, you know, they're they're givers, they're healers. They are the ones pouring into other people. It's very hard to put that boundary up. So when you do, and with the closest people around you, they're going to resist that. Mm-hmm. And many times that could be a breakdown. There could be a repair there. And that's, that's stage three. So stage three. Segue really beautifully (laughs) in stage three. (laughs) And stage three is rising because if we actually say yes to the adventure of like embracing the suck, but also knowing that, all right, I'm going to lean into this next stage with curiosity and acceptance that, all right, I'm not, I'm not good at putting up my boundaries. I might offend people, but I'm still going to speak my truth. I'm Mm -hmm. still going to lean into my intuition. I'm still going to lean into the goodness of my heart and focus on how it makes me feel and focus on how that feels or intuitively feels in my nervous system Mm -hmm. instead of reacting or instead of uh getting triggered or the the idea that we have to do 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 constantly we're actually just rising where we're kind of imagine if we're kind of like wobbling on two feet getting up again after you know falling from you know trying to ski or snowboard that's a very physical example but it could also be when you're even dating and you're putting yourself out there again after After getting, you know, after having a breakup, yeah,
0: you feel a little discombobulated. Yeah, yeah, exactly,
1: (laughs) exactly. That word, I I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) I've been using it a lot myself, but you do feel discombobulated because it's not your norm, Mm -hmm. and maybe your norm is a new definition of yourself. It's, it's your higher self that's actually calling you Mm. to. To rise into that next level Mm -hmm. and expand you, which then, when you are expanded, guess what? Stage four is all about magnifying, Mm -hmm. which means that when we're magnifying, we are going to lean into sharing more of our boundaries. But it doesn't also come without its caveats because you can feel curious and confident, but you can also feel at the same time. I have a beautiful rendition of this inside the book. Uh, You can also feel skeptical and reserved and those feelings can coexist. Mm -hmm. And when we're in that magnify stage, we're also gaining momentum of, all right, I am going to just focus on maybe one or two people that I really want to dive in with Mm -hmm. or that thing, that side hustle that I've always wanted to do or share my voice more, I'm I'm gonna do that and I'm not gonna worry about what other people think anymore.
0: Yeah. Cause it's
1: fully in alignment with yes. where I'm at. And I'm not going to, here's the thing, most of us when we're doing something new for the first time or we're still kind of wobbly, you don't even care how it lands for other people.
0: Yeah, it's about honoring that inner clarity and, and honoring. Where your higher self or you know your your intuition is guiding you and you know when you hold that line, all is truly well, no matter if this crumbles or that, whatever goes away, if you're holding that true divine, uh, divinely guided line. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and then so when you've got that sorted, then we're actually in stage five, which is the thriving stage. And the thriving stage is really looking at, you know, the setbacks are going to come, the challenges are still going to come, but when they come and when you have another fall, you're not going to go back into your Mm. spiral. Or maybe if you do, which is human, we all do it. You're not going to linger in that spiral as long as you did the very first time or the very Mm -hmm. second time, because now you have this new added appreciation for yourself. You have this new added full alignment and self-awareness for where you are at in the stage and the season of life that you're in that now it's not even about you anymore. It's about, okay, alchemizing and sharing it with other people, Mm -hmm. whether it's going and, and volunteering at a, at a, you know, at a, at a organization that you really love or spending time with younger people to mentor them. Or maybe it is writing a article in the, you know, online for other people to consume about what you've been through. So you're actually then passing it forward for other people.
0: Mm-hmm. And a lot of the texture of what we're talking about um, brings me to something that you have taught for a long time, and that is resilience. So I would love to hear from you, like, is the last or the last five minutes of our conversation, somewhat the definition of what it means to be resilient. What what is that? Mm. So
1: I I love this question so much because when I was younger, and I remember when we first we we lost my mom and we lost my brother within a year of each other, and you know they're they're angels together, and they've always been. I feel like they've always been part of my guides. But I remember vividly my dad saying this, Nita, you're strong, you're strong, you're resilient, you're strong and you're resilient. It was almost like repeating this like a mantra because he knew we, maybe he intuitively knew that Mm. something else was going to happen, but it, this was just the mantra. Mm. So what I heard or the story that I created in my mind was, all right, that means I'm I can't show my sadness. I can't show, I can't break down. I have to keep it all together. Mm-hmm. I have to have this perfect persona. And there's something that I talk about in my book called emotional perfectionism, where a lot of times women do this a lot, right? Especially even in motherhood. But, you know, as, uh, even as, as women who are ambitious or go-getters, or even in our healing, it's like, okay, there's, there's a certain way to act. A
0: certain right. way to behave, a certain
1: way to show up—that we can't just. These emotions
0: are okay to share during a ceremony, but these, like, they would think that you're crazy or you're not a whatever if you show these types of emotions or whatever. Right? God forbid you show your rage or anger
1: at a ceremony, right. or you know it's that's not, not very
0: shaman-like of you. How dare is a, the shaman have anger? <laughs> Shouldn't that all be transmuted by now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't, they don't experience any of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so
1: that's really what I grew up then thinking. And so much so that when I finally broke down and shattered into a million pieces, because when you actually, if you take something tough, like a glass of water, if I take that glass and I just let it go here on your beautiful wood floors, it would just shatter completely. But we're like, wait, it's tough. It's tough, it's strong, but if we take that same material, but maybe it's like rubber and it's like a it's a ball, it's like a little basketball, it has a little bit of give and if we look at the 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 lineage of the word resilience it's it's from Latin, it's resilire, which means to bounce, mm-hmm. and so my definition of resiliency is not just toughness because of course, yes, these setbacks can give rise to a stronger version of yourself. We've all heard it, such a cliche, but what if there's also an invitation to actually allow for more grace and more softness? Because in that metaphor of that ball, there is that agility. There is that flow. It's kind of The, you know, the, the, the vision that I get is if you've ever seen trapeze artists, both of them like flying up in the air or Cirque du Soleil performance where they're grabbing on one, you know, uh, one of the bars and they're catching each other, they have to be in full sync a flowing with each other, following the moves, or even an aerial performer, if you've ever done like aerial yoga or anything like that. You're holding on, but you're able to bounce and you're able to flow and move mm-hmm. and, 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 and in that softness so that we're not going to break. Right. We'll be able to transmute
0: some of that. So what would be an example of being audaciously resilient? Mm. So I use
1: audacious as a term to evoke intention. Intention. Like, what is your intentionality of how you are choosing to show up in this moment? Because sometimes we need grace. Sometimes there is chaos. And sometimes you know that there is, there's just the season of chaos that you're in. But can I be audacious in my intention and, and so convicted in knowing that I am going to crawl out of my sock because I have so many tools at my fingertips. There's a, one of the concepts that I talk about in part two of the book is how are you reconciling with your bounce factor, your ability to bounce when high stress comes about or when things come up in your life that there's no control over and it's constant. All right, we've got to look at certain aspects. Well, the one aspect I already talked about, which was your upbringing, right? Figuring out what was accepted in your household, what wasn't accepted in your household and what ways are we still playing out some of those caregiver, younger version of ourselves Mm -hmm. roles that are coming out in our relationships that are coming out maybe in the way we show up at work or coming out in our friendships. And then how are we, how are we also exposing ourselves to good stress and the intentionality or the audaciousness of being able to say, all right, bring on the good stress. And you're like, well, Neetha, why would I ever want good stress? Like, what is stress is stress. But good stress actually prepares us for the the, the next evolution of ourselves, mm. kind of like childbirth and, and labor and those labor pains or for anybody who's ever, you know, had, uh, had, had that experience before you're basically feeling these contractions even before the actual big day to get you prepared. So would somebody say that that's a version of good stress? That is an example of good stress because by that, by the time we get to the big finale, right. your body is already preparing you and you kind of already know what to anticipate and expect. So why can't we think that five minutes or 30 seconds in a cold plunge also trains our skin and our body to go for a longer time so that maybe by the end of 30 days, we've exposed ourselves so much incrementally that we could probably you know, I'm not a cold plunge expert, but we could probably sit in that cold plunge for three minutes because we've kind of acclimated ourselves. The same thing that, well, what if we invited to actually sit with emotions that we're not necessarily feeling Mm -hmm. our best, Mm -hmm. that maybe we judge. And for the longest time, I would judge my mom rage in the very beginning of my, in, in my postpartum depression season. And there's, I I never knew about what mom rage is or even, um, uh, mom anxiety or this feeling that like something really bad is going to happen, uh, you know, to your child and it's, it's whole umbrella under postpartum depression. But I felt like I was crazy. I felt like those memes that people say of like, you know, women acting out like she's crazy or what's going on with her feelings or she can't keep it together, but then where is it in our space where we're allowing ourselves to feel the feeling of of, of rage? Where is it where we're actually allowing ourselves to feel the feeling of anger? And, and does that live within us? Or are we just constantly suppressing that mm. and shoving it under a rug because that place has as nowhere to belong? So that's actually our emotional capacity of our bounce factor. That's the third aspect, it's our emotional capacity of our bounce factor. And then the final aspect of, of resiliency or the, the audacity of resilience is coming back to ourself. Is that radical self-awareness that we were just talking
0: about? And is that also a part of the audacious self-regulation or is that something different? Because I think it is so vitally important. I mean, I talk all the time about conscious self-awareness and conscious self-responsibility. I mean, those are two of the biggest factors of, being a human and living, and and watching, how do how does one react? How do I react when I've been betrayed or feel like I've been taken taken advantage of? How do I uh, react when someone unexpectedly gets aggressive with me? To be able to witness oneself in those scenarios and watch where your body goes how you feel, what emotions get elicited, how long it takes you to settle and come back into yourself. How many days did it take you to process the betrayal scenario versus when someone got aggressive with you? Like all all of that just feels so important.
1: Oh, it's the, it's the, it's, that's just the importance of the work. And when we're talking about even self-regulation, Because here's the thing about, you know, the, the, the emotions and, and when we get into, you know, I I think I just shared the, when we're in the magnify stage of like coming out of our suck in stage four, we're, we are going to feel these feels. And I love that you said, well, do we have the awareness to even take a step back and say, oh, okay, how am I feeling right now after that person just said that? And am I actually inviting myself to see what's, how, how is this pattern actually showing up and when does it actually show up and, and does it show up with certain friends or certain people or is it, get it, does it get activated or triggered with certain people? And we don't necessarily do that, uh, that audit for ourselves or that inventory for ourselves. And I have a, you know, when you actually get the book, I have a whole 44 page deep, dive. It's basically like a self-healing journey Mm. because it's a full workbook that goes into the concepts a little bit deeper so that you're actually exploring, well, when are you actually feeling this way? Who are you feeling this way with? Is there anybody that when you're actually in their presence, they light you up so that when you leave each other, you're like, oh man, I want to hang out with Allison all the time. Or are you kind of like, oh, okay, well, geez, I feel so depleted right now because I feel like I've been giving, giving, giving and where, where am I feeling met in this relationship? Mm-hmm. And so that's so important because when we're bringing it back to the people that we love and honestly, that's where the juiciness of interpersonal dynamics or friendships, relationships come into play. Most people will shy away from these big hard conversations.
0: Yes.
1: And one of the things that I talk about a lot, and you mentioned emotional self-regulation and the audacity of that is, well, we can practice all day long with ourselves. We can practice our breath work all day long with ourselves. We can practice how we are showing up by ourselves with ourselves. But what about bringing that within our relationships? And one of the best ways to do that is sharing our boundaries with our friends, with our family members. And sometimes it will come up as a triggering conversation or what I like to call a courageous conversation or a hard conversation, but it's a hard conversation. And most of us, most of us will shy away from it because we don't want drama. Mm -hmm. We don't want, oh gosh, they're going to feel
0: really bad or I don't want them to be disappointed. Yeah. All the possible narratives that can get you know derived when you start to think about if i say this then this 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 and this might happen and none of them feel very fun you know so it's easy to just retract
1: oh absolutely and i i even remember you know just a recent example of this i had to have a hard conversation with a friend of mine who you know has been a friend for a very long time and now in this new season and stage of having you know, uh, two kids and I need to have better boundaries. And mm-hmm. I was almost feeling resentful. And I felt like that I, I was like, Oh, this is okay. I'm, I'm, I'm having feelings of resentment. And I real, and I actually thought that it was, it was all her mm-hmm. that I'm like, okay, wow. She's, she wants to come over when the kids are about to go to bed or, and, 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 before, Okay, great. It was, it was great. They could, she could actually do that. But now when we actually have bedtimes at a certain time, or I want to spend time with my partner, we have to actually have this laid out. Right. And so in that process of having that conversation with my friend, I was like, oh, wait, actually, it's not, doesn't have anything to do with her at all. It has everything to do with me and my fear that I needed to share how she could actually be a better friend for me in this stage and season of my life, right? where I was just thinking, well, actually, no, the blame is all on her. Why is she coming in late? Why is she, why can't she just come normally when, when, when we would want to hang out. Right. And it's because I didn't voice that those were the needs that I actually needed in order to, for her to be not just a good friend, but a great friend, For me. And once I actually did that, I was able to alchemize a scenario where I thought it was, well, I'm feeling all this resentment. You know, why is she doing that? Instead of that, it was, love, I I really love our relationship. And I love when you come over. And I just need you to come over during this time so that we can be more present. Because Mm -hmm. when the kids come, it's just crazy. And we can't get time together is that something that you can do? And honestly, it's made our relationship tighter. We've been able to build a new bridge and we're even joking about it now, Mm. but I think it was the fear, the initial fear of, okay, wait, I'm feeling this resentment and I feel like I can't say that to her, but instead it was reframing that and giving ourselves more practice in doing this, where it's like, okay, what is it that I need for myself? that I haven't fully shared yet with her so that she can get the clear, she can get a, a better picture yeah. so that we can build a bridge forward. I'm so
0: glad you brought that example into play. Cause I think that can be one intimidating, um, aspect of any relationship journey, but let's just say, especially for friendships, like, especially in this type of community, you know, ceremony circle listeners, like guaranteed 99% of us sitting here listening, um, are involved in this conversation. We're on the evolutionary, infinite evolutionary path. And with that continuous growth and evolution, there's a lot that shifts within our own selves, within the dynamics of our lifestyle. And, and so, yeah, I think I'm just glad you brought in an example that showed like, okay, I have shifted. My family dynamics have shifted my friend is not used to this shift and she's still living as if this shift doesn't happened, has not happened, but it has, I'm noticing I'm feeling this kind of way. I clearly, I value this person enough that it's worth it to me to have this conversation. How, what would be the healthy and responsible way to have this conversation? I mean, there's a lot in just that one example of one shift in your life the maneuverings and mechanics that go into just one relationship dynamic. So uh, yeah, I guess I'm just grateful that you brought that up because I feel like it gives more breath and a permission slip for others to know that it is okay and it is normal when you observe that where you're at in life is different than where you've been previously in in your relationship with that person. And it's normal and okay to say like, hey, something big or small has shifted within me. And due to that shift, how would it feel if like, instead of texting every day, like I just, for some reason, I'm needing more space. How would it feel if, you know, we just try to text a couple times a week. And I, yes, something as small like that can feel scary or unnerving, but wow. I mean, but I think,
1: I think it will actually bring us closer together Mm -hmm. too. Right. Because just knowing where, I mean, even just listening to you share that, I'm like, wow, could we just actually have this invitation for all friends that we want to, we want to either go, go deeper with, or just be so, open yeah. where we're at in whatever season and stage we are in life and actually have these types of agreements mm-hmm. and every so often we revisit our agreements we do this with our partners with our romantic partners why couldn't we do that with the, the important people in our life or the the people who we really love and we care about because mm-hmm. i feel like there's no there's you know and I, I i i allude to this in some of the client stories in the book of how There's when we're, as you're saying, even on an evolutionary path, our friendships also shift and there are certain friends that maybe have been our ride or die, or they've been through seasons of life to really hold us in that space. But now we're at a different level and we want to be met. Our needs need to be met in a different way. Mm -hmm. And maybe those people will get triggered and they will take offense, but maybe you have to get really good at practicing what those conversations can look like. And, uh, you know, in the third part of my book, we do have scripts and we go over ways where you can have these hard or difficult conversations because really all it is at the end of the day is just inviting ourselves to create these agreements Mm -hmm. and establish boundaries. But I think there's really no Uh, opportunity to actually practice those where we're not going to be judged.
0: I mean, it just brings to mind one of the trillion things on the list that I wish schools taught, but don't even get close to teaching. (laughs) It's like, we're not taught anywhere along the way how to have healthy interpersonal dynamics, conversations it's just like not even really spoken of. So I'm glad that we're, we're talking about it. So one other thing that I have to cover with you, cause it's one of my all time favorite things in general, yeah, uh, is just freaking being human and giving ourselves permission <laughs> to be human. And, um, you know, while this episode um, is going to air, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks right now, as we're doing this, something that you're going around and sharing with a lot of the uh, television stations and all of your, your big, uh, press run for the book is, is what is the, the theme? Like oh, it's, it's, it's suck don't, at something. Yeah. Don't be afraid to suck at something. Yeah. New. Can we just, I don't know, just open up that portal a little bit to again, give that permission slip to people about it's, it's okay. And sometimes it's, it's great to suck at something. Oh my gosh. Yes.
1: Okay. So think about the last time you were a beginner right? I mean, a beginner of, of something. I know we started this conversation as the, you know, for me, the beginner of, of leaning into pregnancy and motherhood and all of these things. But even a year ago, when you were one of the first guests on my podcast, mm-hmm. when I decided to launch the break table, and that was a really big edge for me because I'm like, Oh, I, I'd done podcast before. It was like five years ago. I was in a very different t- stage of my life. I don't know. And I was afraid of letting people down. I was afraid of starting something Mm -hmm. and not continuing because whatever life happens, but because I felt like in my mind, it had to be a certain something like there had to be a, a certain, uh, practice or a, uh, a system of creating content of, of doing something. And instead and I think it was probably after our conversation where I just reframed it. I'm like, you know what? We're going to just play mm-hmm. and we're going to evoke this spirit of play. And that's what this whole idea of giving yourself permission to suck at something. I love that. And for some who are like, well, I, what do you mean? Because I was at the gym earlier today. I, one of the things that I want to suck at is, is, is doing a pull-up. I've never been able to do a pull-up is not, you know, I'm not one to lift heavy weights and all of these things. I really love my yoga practice. I love going to Pilates, but it's been something that I've been really calling into more strength. Mm -hmm. Now, both my kids are, they are a lot of action and a lot of (laughs) energy and many times I'm holding both of them. And I've just noticed that like, I, I could probably be stronger in that way physically And so I wanted that challenge for myself. Well, okay, here I am. So the first day she had me She's like, show me what you got with your pull-up. Let's just see it. I'm like, yeah, there's
0: nothing. (laughs) I'm giving everything I have and I'm not moving. (laughs) So
1: there's an exercise that she has you do where you're, you're hanging on the bars and she's like, okay, this is, you know, we're going to set you up for 30 seconds. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I felt like it was the longest 30 seconds of my life (laughs) where I'm just hanging on this. And apparently it's great for longevity and all of these, you know, amazing benefits. But here's the thing. I am releasing all pressure that it has to be a certain way. Yes, And that's the beauty of it, especially when we're getting into, you know, this new year. And I think it's probably why so many people loved it because most of the time we're told, all right, go big. Let's start off, you know, let let's have this perfect ideation of 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 what something could look that like or a routine could look like. And then we have so much pressure at the, you know, perfect morning routine or the perfect biohacking routine, or the, the, you know, this, the, if you're not doing it in a certain way, you're not doing it well. You know, a lot of times, which is why so many people stop doing, or they lose track or get off the bandwagon of their meditation practice or their breathwork practice. Cause it's not in that divine ideal time mm-hmm. that we have in our minds. But if we, again, evoke the idea of, you know, evolution What are we evolving in our life? And yeah, in the beginning, we're not going to be good at having tough conversations. We're going to suck at it. We're not going to be good at perhaps sharing, you know, how we are are doing pull-ups or, you know, sharing how we really feel many times, especially if that's an edge for us. Mm -hmm. But why don't we release the expectation that has to go a certain way and have fun and and evoke the beginner's play, evoke
0: the toddler's play of like releasing it. Yeah. And I think giving ourselves like, um, the permission to release any pride or ego and open up to potential, uh, greater vulnerability. Like I remember as you were sharing the story for my own case, uh, that came to mind was learning guitar. You know how obsessed I am with my guitar, which I I have to show you my new one. It's downstairs for my birthday. so pretty. Um, And uh, yeah, I remember in a particular medicine ceremony where grandmother medicine directed me straight to the one of the women facilitators and she happened to be singing and playing guitar in that moment. And the medicine directed my gaze right to her. And then this call, this instruction came in for me to learn guitar. And I obviously answered that, but in that moment, I was, I was, I was curious about it because, um, out of all the instruments I've ever played either past or current, I just, the guitar hadn't really been super on my radar of like my wish list. Um, but yet it was a clear and direct call. So I was like, okay, we're doing this. And I remember I allowed myself, I knew a big part of this initiation for me, was releasing any like pride and just allowing myself as masterful as I might be and a lot of things, which Mm -hmm. I I am at this point, when it comes to guitar, I don't know nothing. (laughs) And I'm a total beginner. So I went to the altar the next morning and I sat with her and this other master musician who's also been on Ceremony Circle, Ash I forget what episode number his is, but it's Galactic Language Activation. He's amazing. And I knew I needed, it was clear I had to speak with both of them, mm. set the pride as far away as it can and say, I'm humbly coming to you. I know I'm supposed to learn guitar I don't even know the first step. And it's it, so for someone listening to me saying this, this might not sound like a big deal at all, but for some reason within me, within my alchemical makeup, my energetics, it was so vulnerable that I got really emotional as I was putting this ask out to both of them, these newer people in my life. And I'm just like, can you help me learn how to, how to start. And so they, you know, both offered up their conversation with me and, um, and then, yeah, I, I started, Luke started to teach me some things and then I went to a gathering and a friend of mine who I forgot is a music teacher. I was telling her this whole story and she was like, I said, but Luke is busy a lot. And so he doesn't really get to teach me the way that I want to as often. And she like, was like, hello. Do you remember that I've actually offered to you before? I'm a music teacher and I've been a musician my whole life. And I was like, you're right. And so I've been getting weekly lessons from her. She's also been on Ceremony Circle, Melissa. And so, you know, I just, I just offer that up, not to ramble, uh, but just, you know, I, that is my current, my recent and current um, permission slip where I let myself not have any pressure. And my first lesson to her, she was like, let's talk your intention. And I was like, honestly, my intention is to just enjoy, to not feel any pressure. I just want to be connected to the divine and to just have a good time. Mm. That's it. It's a play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And, and be connected. So beautiful. That's so beautiful. Um, so before we close in the closing ceremony circle practice, I want to ask you uh, just a few rapid fire questions that are actually from the that sucked. Now what conversation card deck? Oh yeah! Has anyone done this with you yet? Oh my gosh. I, you know what? Actually you're probably the second. Oh, I was really hoping I'd be the first <laughs> to think of this, but okay, fine. Hopefully I'll ask you something from the deck that they didn't ask you. Okay. Um, what was your favorite activity as a child? Mm-hmm. Dancing. The, uh, b- uh the Indian dancing. So
1: I did, so, okay. So a little context, I did Indian classical dance. I did modern Bhangra, which is a type of Indian dance. I also did Hawaiian dancing, which is a big thing for Filipino dancing, but also Philippine. I was like in a lot of dance. Cool. It was Yeah. But it was a lot of performance. So Mm. it was, it was, you would go, you would perform, you would get the trophy. It had to be perfect. It it had to be perfect. (laughs) That's what, why do you think it's like embrace the Uh, suck? A trigger or a pet peeve with others? Mm. Yeah. I think honesty. I think that's a big thing because I'm so, I've, I'm just really intuitive. And I know when Mm. somebody is just not being Either fully there or dropping in with me because I can go pretty deep. You know that. You go really deep. We like, uh, like I just love releasing the layers. Mm. But if somebody's gonna be like just superficial or you know they're just, they've got a wall up or a guard up, that's like a, that's a, that's a big pet peeve. Mm. Or if they're just gonna talk superficial stuff and I'm like, let's just get yeah. under.
0: Come on. I like that. It makes sense. Get in. What's the word that describes the season of your life? Ooh, play. (laughs) I love that you picked that. I would not have guessed that considering you're in the throes of your book release, but I think that's perfect. And neat. Yes. Play for sure. Okay. And let's do one more. What's something you wish everyone knew about you, but you find it hard to share. Mm. I've only ever shared this
1: probably one other time. Um, that I actually have this love for stand-up comedy. Mm. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I've taken, I, you know, I've taken improv. Uh it was probably one of my big activations being, you know, uh from my uh from my divorce 11 years ago now. Um but I've taken stand-up two different times. Yes. I actually oh my gosh, there's a <laughs> I'll send it to you. But there's, you guys could probably find this on YouTube. There's probably even, there's a series that I created, like when I was pregnant with Ari and it's, it, I mean, I thought it was funny, probably, you know, it was like pre TikTok, but it was full on, like I would write out these skits and I, it was just like, it was, it was sketch comedy for sure but you know for stand up an actual traditional stand up you're writing out the punchline you're writing out the right. premise you're writing out and so yeah i would study uh i think more so for storytelling but i would study these stand up comics and i think also because my early stage of my life was so heavy that i'm like there's mm. got to be a way cuz when people first meet me they're like how are you so enthusiastic i'm mm. like Yes, because I've been through the fire and I know what it is on the other side. And I want, I, I want people to, to to have life alchemy to mm. actually live and enjoy life. And I wanted to be able to transcend that in I in a comedy this. set. I didn't, I didn't even know this. I know, like I know, this is I so know. Good, I know. Amazing. One of our other sisters wants to challenge me to actually do. A set.
0: I will be there front (laughs) row. Believe me, the ticket is already purchased. Okay. What do you have in store for our closing ceremony circle practice?
1: Something from your book. It is something from my book. It is our emotional, it's one of the emotional release practices, actually. Great. And it's it's called a word. It's so if you get the book, it's actually page 19. But it's really quick. And, you know, anytime we're actually experiencing the suck moments and allowing ourselves to really fully embrace the suck, well, how do we do that? Well, here we go. So go ahead and close your eyes and go ahead and take a deep breath. Mm. Take a few deep breaths in and just center yourself and place your hand over your heart. This is great because we are able to feel ourselves and really regulate our nervous system and get out of
2: fight, flight, and freeze to a little rest and digest.
1: But go ahead and take another deep breath in. And experience or recall a time where you have felt a sucky moment. Maybe something didn't go your way. Maybe an overwhelming feeling,
2: or stress, or anxiety. Just bring it
1: here now.
2: And just I want you to feel the intensity or the suckiness of the suck. Where do you feel it? Feel it in your body. Some of us might feel it in our lower back. Some of us might feel it in our chest. Some might even feel it in our tummy or in our neck or on the sides of our head, temples. So take a deep breath in again. Deep breaths in,
0: and there you go.
2: And allow to meet this feeling, the suck, that emotion, like a friend, a friend without judgment. And Maybe you can see, maybe give this friend a look. A shape, a color. Maybe the color of it is red. Maybe the shape is circular, a circular ball. And notice that this ball is now moving from where you initially felt it. So this ball of this tension, a suck. Allow it to release. Know what urges may be coming, up, if any. The urge to judge that emotion. Be gentle with yourself as you are just noticing and observing this ball, the suck. Notice that now, with your next couple of breaths, releasing it, it's detaching from you, from your essence. And it's going away. With every breath, it's actually getting smaller and smaller smaller, until it actually gets so small, you can actually put it in your pocket. This discomfort, this feeling of suck, that you can minimize with your breath. Any chance you feel this urge coming on, you feel like you can't control. At the count of three, we'll take our last breath together and bring ourselves back into the room. One, two, wide awake, opening our eyes. Three, Releasing that suck. That was helpful for me.
0: Thank you. Some cedar fever suck. <laughs> for real, it was really wild. Like my lip and left side of my mouth started twitching about five or seven minutes ago, and I almost like stopped the interview because so I've never experienced like I was like. Is there some sort of, like, I'm about to have a stroke? Like, I literally was like, what's happening? Oh, no. And, like, I was feeling, like, all this, like, my left lip was, like, pulsing up. Like, all this, I've never felt the sensation. So I literally just did your suck exercises. I was like, I'm going right to my upper lip, like, right to the left side of my yeah. face. I have no idea what is going on here. Put it in the pocket, and, like, it's not twitching anymore. Like, I have no idea. <sighs> but I think it's maybe related to the cedar fever and the sinuses and the allergy. Out- I don't know. It's...
2: You're in it right now.
0: Yeah. I'm in the Cedar fever. You're in the
2: suck
1: of the Cedar fever. So thank
0: you for that. (laughs) Yay. Where can they find that sucked? Now what? Not just the book, but there's the affirmation card deck and the conversation card deck. Yes.
1: And, and there's also the, we have a five day fly forward healing practice Mm -hmm. as well that you get for free when you actually get the book, um, as well as the, the guidebook, the 44 page guidebook that you also get for free to accompany the book, but you can get it all at that sucked now So all one word that sucked. So not sucks. Cause we're past the suck, mm-hmm. but that sucked uh, now what.com.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you. You're one of the, uh, only three guests that I've ever had as returning guests on ceremony circle. So thank you for coming back. And I'm just so happy for you. Proud of you It's such a rich treasure of a book. And I love, I carry the uh, conversation card deck to gatherings. Cause it's just like, it's fun to play with it's and ask so people. Fun. Cause like I learned today, I didn't know you're into stand-up, So, you know, you know, <laughs> just one of the things, all the things. So thank you for being back. <laughs> thank you for having me love. Mm-hmm. I love this conversation. Yeah, me too. And thank so you good. to the soul fam. Thanks for sitting with us. And we will sit with you again next time. Woo-wee! What a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at IamAlisonCharles, so it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all. If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love.